Wednesday, August 29th, 2012, episode number 14 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. away from the start of the 2012 NFL regular season. It's been a long offseason. It's been an even longer training camp, but just eight short days from now, the 2012 NFL regular season will kick off. And here on FootballNation.com and on the Football Nation Today podcast, we will be here for your season-long NFL coverage, just as we've been here all off season long. My name, of course, is Alex Reamer, and the Football Nation Today podcast is published on Wednesdays on FootballNation.com. And for download in the iTunes Store, please subscribe to the Football Nation podcast in the iTunes Store if you have yet to do so. The calendar is quickly turning to the month of September, and with that, the football season will get underway. Two weeks ago on the show, we did our general AFC overview. Last week on the program, we did our general NFC overview. I said last week on the show that this week would be our official NFL overview. However, games, of course, do not begin until eight days from now. So, training camp is still underway this week. Still a lot of storylines to sort out there as the regular season nears. So I am going to call an audible. Eh, Like how I did that. Nice little football term for you. To get you in the spirit of things, uh, I'm going to call an audible and hold off my 2012 NFL overview until the show next Wednesday. And then next week, uh, you know, all the NFL previews will be out. Sports Illustrated, I believe, next week comes out with their NFL preview. And then you'll have the Football Nation Today podcast NFL overview alongside all the other previews next week. So next Wednesday will be the 2012 NFL preview. I'll sit down this weekend, this Labor Day weekend, make my make my picks, make my predictions. I take my preseason prognostications very seriously. So next Wednesday you will hear my 2012 NFL overview. So this week on the show, we're putting a bow on things. We're putting a bow on the 2012 NFL training camp. Uh, Teams wrapping things up, gearing up for the fourth preseason game. Uh, And a couple of really interesting results from training camp to talk about. The Jets have still not scored a touchdown. Uh, Peyton Manning threw two touchdowns in his latest preseason game. So we'll Talk about those stories. Uh, Andrew Luck and Robert Griffin III continue to impress as rookie quarterbacks in camp. And another rookie QB, Russell Wilson in Seattle, has been given the reins to start this season. Last week it was Ryan Tannehill. This week it is Russell Wilson. We will talk about that decision made by Pete Carroll. That and more will take place in the first down segment. In the second down segment, talking about the biggest NFL story off the field, it's holdouts, holdouts, holdouts. Mike Wallace holding out until early this week. Maurice Jones drew something, may miss week one, and more in Jacksonville. We continually hear about how the NFL has the best system in place among the American professional sports. But is it really the best system when year after year, star players hold out for the duration of training camp, And in some cases, a significant percentage of the regular season. Third down segment, it's the big up slowdown, talking about every, talking about stories ranging from the restrictions the Cowboys have placed on wide receiver Des Bryant, 
the Patriots re-signing tight end slash receiver Aaron Hernandez, and uh, preseason football coming to an end. So it's time for that yearly discussion. How can the NFL change preseason football? How can they change the format of purchasing tickets for it so it's less of a ripoff to the fans and season ticket holders? We'll tackle that issue as well in the third down segment. And then in the fourth down segment, Terrell Owens was released by Seattle a couple of days ago, just as Chad Johnson was released by Miami a couple of weeks ago. But yet fans across the league are still enamored with these prima donna over-the-hill wide receivers. And there are more of these guys who fans are enamored with to add to the list. I ranted about this before, but I'm fired up about it again. We'll revisit that topic in the Reamer rant. It's Football Nation Today, back in a moment. So back here in the Football Nation Today podcast, final week of training camp and then Next week, of course, we'll go into our 2012 NFL season overview. I'm sure I'm way more excited for it than you are, but nonetheless, it's my show. Uh, Preseason football wrapping up this week, the rather inconsequential Game 4. But last week was Game 3, the dress rehearsal for most teams across the league. And it was the dress rehearsal or the supposed dress rehearsal for the New York Jets who were defeated by Carolina by a score of 17-12. to But even more important than the final score, the Jets have still yet to score a touchdown on offense in the preseason. They get near the, they barely get near the red zone, and when they do, they cannot convert. Now out of the game last week, the wide receivers had some trouble. Santonio Holmes and Stephen Hill dropped some key passes in the game. And what's been lost through a hectic training camp, to say the very least, for the New York Jets has been that their defense, which many, including myself, has t- uh, took a step back this year, has actually looked pretty good. So that's a positive to take from Jets training camp, but it's just been completely overshadowed by the ineptitude and chaos of the offense. Uh, the offensive line has been abysmal all preseason long. The Jets made a trade to shake things up on that offensive line, trading underachieving right tackle Wayne Hunter to the St. Louis Rams for 2009 second overall pick offensive lineman and perpetual underachiever himself, Jason Smith. Now, Smith was drafted to play left tackle. He moved from left tackle to the right side of the line last season due to his constant struggles. He struggles to stay on the field as well. Uh, This seems to be the quintessential change of scenery trade for two underachieving offensive linemen. Uh, But I just think it's a toxic situation in New York, and I'm not sure if the New York Jets is the right place for Jason Smith to get his mind about him. He's not going to start there right away. He's going to ride the bench. But still, is that the right situation you want to bring a guy like Jason Smith into? Uh, The Jets have been such a big story all preseason long. People are continually frustrated by that, frustrated by the wall-to-wall Tim Tebow coverage, frustrated by the wall-to-wall coverage of the Jets' offensive struggles, and I totally understand why. But remember, the Jets are such a big story because, number one, they're in New York, and everything in New York is magnified. And also, even more than that, the Jets are such a big story now because of Rex Ryan's gusto. People love to tear a champion down. They love to tear the big guy down. The problem is, Rex Ryan was never a champion. So, fans across the league 
and I would say even some media types across the league, are just clamoring for the chance to tear Rex Ryan, the champion, down. But of course, he's never won anything. He's never been a champion. He's talked a hell of a lot in his past three seasons as Jets head coach. He brought them to two AFC title games in his first two years. And it's almost as if his early success, combined with his motor mouth, uh, has been a curse. Because the next logical step for the Jets to go, after making the AFC title game for two years, was of course a Super Bowl berth. And they didn't even make the playoffs last season, finishing at 8-8. Eight and eight. And this year, they've started off training camp, they bring in Tim Tebow, uh, the, the offensive line's a disaster, uh, they still have an array of personalities on that team who are not palatable, from Antonio Cromartie to Santonio Holmes to Darrell Rivas, they just have a lot of hated guys on that team, the head coach hasn't stopped talking, in his didn't stop talking, talking in his first three York, has toned down the act a bit this season, as of this recording, I don't believe Rex Ryan has made any declarations of a Super Bowl berth for the Jets, but... Still, people love to tear the big guy down. They love to tear the champion down. The problem is, for Rex Ryan and the Jets, they never won a championship. And now, they're in the process of getting torn down. So that's what makes the Jets such a peculiar... That's what has made the Jets such a peculiar situation this August. And of course, that will undoubtedly continue into the regular season. You, my friends, have seen nothing yet. Those in Denver, prior to last week's training camp game, really saw nothing yet in regards to Peyton Manning, but Manning broke out of his shell last week, throwing for 122 yards and two touchdowns in Denver's game against San Francisco last week. Wide receiver Eric Decker caught both of Manning's touchdown passes, and amidst all the Jets' hoopla this preseason, I think the biggest story in the AFC has been overshadowed slightly. Now, yes, ESPN did set up shop at Denver's training camp early on, but, you know, I think to an extent, a lot of that coverage is warranted because if Peyton Manning is even 85 to 90% of his former self, of his former self, uh, that could be the biggest free agent signing, not just in the history of professional football, but in the history of American sports because no player, the caliber of a healthy Peyton Manning, you can say, has ever been put on the market like that before. The Broncos made the playoffs with Tim Tebow under center last year, and they even won a playoff game with Tebow under center last season. Just imagine how they would do with one of the best quarterbacks in history, even at 90% of himself, Peyton Manning under center. That's why the Peyton Manning signing, in my opinion, cannot really be overcovered, because if he's healthy, that's arguably the biggest free agent signing in the history of professional football. Some people are down on Denver this season. Kansas City, with new coach Romeo Cronell, has, seem, has seemed to be a sexy choice to win the AFC West. Uh, people always like to pick the Chargers in the preseason with the talent they have there. Uh, Oakland had a respectable year in 2011. But, in my opinion, if Peyton Manning is even 85-90% to 90 of his former self, and two touchdown passes in his last preseason game, a great performance for him. Uh, I'm not sure how you can pick against Denver, because they still have the same team they had last season, and they have potentially added one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the game, Peyton Manning, to that mix. Now, Andrew Luck and Robert Griffin III, no one is saying they're going to be the best quarterbacks in the history of the game just yet, but 
They've both impressed this preseason, and the Redskins defeated the Colts 30-17 last week. Robert Griffin III slightly outshined, outshined Andrew Luck. I thought that was a real important game for Robert Griffin III. It's rare that a preseason game is of national importance, of national attention, but I think that game was. See, the first two picks, the top two quarterbacks selected, both have had good training camps, Luck and Robert Griffin III, and both players put on the national stage, the NFL Network broadcasting that game throughout the weekend, and uh, I thought both played really well. Robert Griffin impressed me a little more than Andrew Luck, but as I've said several times this month here on the Football Nation Today podcast, I think Andrew Luck is the real deal. I love his arm. I love his football footwork. I love the poise about him. Uh, I just love the fact, and I know this sounds like a cliche, but you watch the guy and you know it's true. He just seems like an NFL QB. I think Andrew Luck's in a good situation there in Indianapolis, which we've also talked about before on the show. Uh, I look for big things out of Andrew Luck this season. Robert Griffin III has a bit more of a different situation in Washington uh, with Coach Mike Shanahan, owner Dan Snyder. There's more pressure for Robert Griffin III to win now, and I'm not sure if his roster is all that better than Andrew Luck's, uh, but certainly both have impressed this preseason and both impressed when they squared off last week in preseason game number three for both teams. So it's Luck, it's Robert Griffin III, it's Ryan Tannehill, it's Brandon Whedon in Cleveland, and now it's Russell Wilson in Seattle. He has been named the new starter for the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks won 44-14 over Kansas City in their preseason game last week. Uh, so Russell Wilson's the starter. High-priced free agent Matt Flynn goes to the bench to start his Seattle career. And I absolutely love the move. And that should be telling... Because I'm not a Pete Carroll guy. You know, I mean, we're jacked up. We're ready to go. Woo! I mean, oh, give me a break. Uh, you know, reports that he, you know, blasts Flow Rider, you know, in his practices. I mean, please, give me a break. He, he's, he's, he's a stereotypical middle-aged guy trying to act like, hey, I'm the cool guy. I understand you kids. And and, and I just, it didn't work here in New England over a decade ago. It plays well in college, certainly. And I'm not sure how, how well it'll work long-term in Seattle. But... At USC, Pete Carroll dubbed Tuesday practices Competition Tuesdays. <laughs> yeah, it's a corny title because everything about Pete Carroll is corny, but the idea behind it isn't corny. On Competition Tuesdays, he would give backups a chance to prove they can be starters and conversely give stars a chance to protect their own turf. Training camp in Seattle this year was run in a similar fashion at the quarterback position. And Russell Wilson, out of Wisconsin, has had a terrific camp, a superior camp to Matt Flynn's. He's gone 35 of 52, 464 yards, five touchdowns in the game. He's also scrambled for 150 yards and 10 attempts. And those impressive statistics are just in the games that we see. So you have to figure if Wilson is that impressive in the games, he's probably that much more impressive in practice. Um... So good for Pete Carroll here to show that competition matters in an NFL, tra NFL training. Matt Flynn is the high-priced free agent signed out of Green Bay. You know, a few years ago, Matt Schaub was the big, sexy backup sign. The Texans gave Schaub a big deal out of Atlanta, handed him the starting job, and that's worked out well. Matt Schaub, statistically speaking, has been a good quarterback, a top-10 quarterback in Houston over the past couple of years. Uh, many thought Matt Flynn... Out of Green Bay, impressing his few starts in place of Aaron Rodgers over the past couple seasons. Uh, 
Big guy coming out. Seahawks give him the big contract. Hand over the reins, the starting job to him, but he did not impress this training camp. And here's this rookie, Russell Wilson, who comes on, impresses, and Pete Carroll, with more than a week to go in training camp, affirmatively names that Russell Wilson is his starter. A big vote of confidence, something that Pete Carroll didn't have to do right away. I mean, Ken Wisenhunt in Arizona still hasn't named a starter between Kevin Cobb and John Skelton. Uh, Pete Carroll didn't have to give Russell Wilson as affirmative a vote of confidence as he did. But he did, and he also traded another quarterback, Tavares Jackson, to Buffalo to even uh, prove that to even prove uh, in, in a greater fashion that Russell Wilson is his guy. So I don't just like the move, the bold move of Pete Carroll going with rookie Russell Wilson over the free agent newcomer Matt Flynn. But I like the fact that Pete Carroll did it affirmatively with time still left in training camp. And I also like the fact that he traded off another QB, Tavares Jackson, because if you think you have a legitimate number one QB on your hands, what's the point in accumulating quarterback depth, especially in the form of a guy like Tavares Jackson? So I like the move, I like the boldness of it, and I like the confidence Pete Carroll has shown behind naming rookie Russell Wilson as the starter in Seattle. And next week, of course, will be our 2012 NFL overview. But I do want to mention here, uh, the AFC North is my division to be on the decline this season. Pittsburgh is getting older. Baltimore is getting older on defense with Ray Lewis, Ed Reed. I'm still not sold on Joe Flacco. I know he's had an impressive training camp. But, you know, I, 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 I think we have a large enough sample on Joe Flacco where we know what he is. An average at best quarterback. He's not mobile. Doesn't make quick enough decisions. I'm not a believer in offensive coordinator Cam Cameron. I still can't get past the fact in the AFC Championship game last January, it took him, you know, an NFL game is what, 60 minutes? It took him 55 minutes to recognize that Julian Edelman, a slot receiver, was covering Anquan Bolden. But nonetheless, uh, the other reason why I'm down on the AFC North, down on the Ravens, Terrell Suggs placed on the PUP, physically unable to perform list this week. That means that Suggs, the linebacking star there in Baltimore, will be out for up for six weeks at least in the regular season. So Baltimore's without Suggs for the first six weeks at the least. Pittsburgh's getting older too on defense. I think the AFC North is the division this season to take a downturn. Wouldn't surprise me if 10-11 wins wins that division. Moving on to our second down segment where we look at the biggest off-field NFL story of the week and as training camp comes to a close, holdouts continue to dominate the storylines in a couple of camps. Now Mike Wallace's holdout has dominated storylines in Pittsburgh's camp thus far. As of this recording, Wallace has not reported to camp. He was supposed to report to training camp on Monday. He did not. New reports say supposed to report sometime Tuesday, but as of this recording, Mike Wallace has still not arrived to steal a camp. And Maurice Jones-Drew in Jacksonville has not arrived to camp either, and many are speculating that Maurice Jones-Drew is going to miss week one. Some are even saying Jones-Drew may sit out until week 11 just as Logan Mankins did here in New England a couple of years ago. So, I bring that up. The Mike Wallace holdout and the continuation of the Maurice Jones-Drew holdout because we keep hearing this spouted, and we've heard it spouted for years now. The NFL has the best system in sports. It's the best system in sports. It's the league that's run perfectly. Nothing ever goes wrong. Well, 
Riddle me this then. If it's the best system in sports, then why is it the only league where these holdouts, multiple holdouts, still take place on a yearly basis throughout training camp and into the early portion of the regular season? No other sport has this. Hockey, basketball, baseball, no other sports has these holdouts. Here, tell me the last baseball holdout. Tell me the last baseball holdout. Roger Clemens in 1987, I believe it was with the Red Sox. Late 80s was the last time there was a significant holdout of any substance in Major League Baseball. Can you tell me the last case in the NBA? I can tell you Glenn Big Dog Robinson held out for the, with the Milwaukee Bucks in the mid-1990s when he was drafted. Can't really tell you anyone significant since then. Hockey, can't really tell you anyone significant there. The NFL has the best system in the world, right? Best system in sports. Best run league in sports. No other league comes close. Okay. But then why do they have all these holdouts? Why is this still a problem in the NFL when it's not a problem anywhere else? This is because the NFL is the best system for the owners. Yeah. For the owners, it's the best system. For the owners, it's set to make them the most guaranteed money. It's the best system for the owners. But is it really the best system for all when multiple big-time players hold out on a yearly basis? I mean, this is a yearly occurrence in the National Football League. And it affects seasons. It affects your fantasy season. You know, I mean, you have a first draft pick. Maurice Jones-Drew is one of the top running backs on the board. And eh, you got to think twice about drafting him. And if you do draft him, you're praying every day he reports to camp. This is the first year I'm playing fantasy football with some college friends of mine. Now, I'll do my anti-fantasy football rant probably later on this season. I, I finally caved in and played it, but I think it's the epitome of dorkitude. But anyway, uh... Mike Wallace is on my fantasy team, and I'm praying each day he gets into camp. And fantasy football, I would say, is even more popular than the real thing these days in some circles. So if you don't really care about Maurice Jones-Drew or Mike Wallace or these holdouts screwing up real NFL teams, how about this? Their holdouts are screwing up your fantasy teams, too. Now, these holdouts occur because players don't feel they have enough rights in the NFL. And thus, they have to get paid. Uh, you know, they have to strike with the payday as quickly as they can. In baseball, there is a system in place. A young player coming up gets a rage gets a raise, excuse me, each year through arbitration. And then once that once that player hits reality, he knows he will be taken care of by his own team or by the open market. In professional football, players before they reach free agency or in Jones Drews's case, even after they reach free agency and sign a big contract, don't have that kind of security. Because in the NFL, if you're under your rookie deal, your pay doesn't increase each year like it does in baseball with arbitration or in other sports. And, you know, if you suffer a severe injury, you can still be cut. You know, or you're fortunate enough to make it to the open market like a Maurice Jones Drew did or a Darrell Rivas did, and you sign a big contract, well... You're not thinking, I just got to play out this contract, it's guaranteed money, money, 
and then stuff up for the next big deal? No, because there may not be that next big deal. Because if you're injured, you're out. And that money on the pre and all that money you signed for this current contract you're under, some of it's guaranteed, but a large percentage of it is not. This is a direct referendum of the NFL not having guaranteed contracts. Players are treated like dogs. Quite frankly, they go through their rookie contracts, then they are franchised, and then they can reach the open market, and then they'll sign a long-term deal with some guaranteed money, but then that guaranteed money is paid up front, and after that, the deal isn't really guaranteed anymore. So they're essentially back to square one. I'm not crying poverty for these NFL players, many of whom are millionaires, but compared to their sports, it's a raw deal. It really is. Frankly, it's a sucky deal for the players. And you see it year after year with these holdouts that affect real teams. And if you don't care about them affecting real teams, they affect your fantasy team. It's the only league where we have to deal with this year after year. There are guaranteed to be a handful of star players who hold out in training camp and a couple of those star players who hold out deep into training camp and potentially into the regular season where games actually matter. So as far as I'm concerned, we can no longer say the NFL has the best system in professional sports until this holdout problem, a problem from yesteryear, and every other sport is fixed. It's not the best system in sports. It's the best system for the owners. That's it. Moving on to our third down segment, it's the Big Up Slowdown segment, or I say a statement, and then I express my agreement or disagreement with it by saying Big Up or Slow Down. Cowboys place receiver Des Bryant on what I like to call double secret probation. Uh, Jerry Jones announced this week that Des Bryant will have a midnight curfew this season. He cannot drink alcohol. He cannot go to strip clubs, cl strip clubs and can only go to nightclubs if it is approved by the team. He asks for 10 counseling sessions twice per week. He will have a rotating three-man security team with him at all times, and that security team will drive Bryant to practices, games, and team functions. This is a result of Des Bryant's off-field behavior, which... Uh, culminated this past offseason and him being accused of uh, assaulting his mother. Des Bryant, I'm assuming with this ban, has dealt with several other character issues in Dallas over the past couple seasons. The Cowboys drafted Des Bryant out of college knowing his problems. Jerry Jones continually asserts to the Dallas media that they have seen nothing that's shocking with Des, but nonetheless, they now feel the need to put these restrictions in place. So, big up or slow down. This kind of thing could only happen in the NFL, where a team drafts a guy like Des Bryant and then puts all of these big-time restrictions on him, and Jerry Jones hasn't quite come out and said what the consequences are if Bryant breaks these restrictions, but one can assume this has become a serious enough problem in Dallas, so serious they're placing these restrictions on him, that if Des Bryant breaks the restrictions, uh, well, his ass could be cut. So, big up or slow down. This kind of thing could only happen in the NFL. The answer to this is big up because in the NFL, contracts are not guaranteed. So teams even have leverage when the player is under contract. And if Bryant doesn't comply, the Cowboys can cut him and he can go on the street. So that's the first big up slowdown. The second big up is the more pertinent question. Will this work? And I say slow down. I'm not sure it's going to work for the long term. 
Because if Des Bryant has no change in character and has just a bunch of rules thrown onto him, this arrangement cannot work long term. He will relapse. He will break these arrangements. Des Bryant and anybody else in a situation like his has to have a change of character. And I don't, you know, and from my perspective, I don't know if Des Bryant has a change in character. I don't think he has a change in character because if he did, or if he has had a change in character, I should say, would the Cowboys have felt it necessary to emplace these hard restrictions upon him? No, of course not. So in my humble opinion, this reeks of desperation. This is like a Hail Mary pass. The Cowboys drafted Des Bryant, knowing his personal, knowing his, you know, troubled past, knowing the personal issues he deals with, knowing his erratic behavior, especially off the football field. They knew all about it, and they still drafted him. And he's been relatively productive on the field for Dallas. But obviously, the Cowboys' field, his off-field antics, are hinging, or hindering, I should say, are hindering his on-field performance. If they didn't feel that way, they wouldn't have placed these restrictions upon him. And placing these restrictions upon him, to me, screams desperation. It's the Cowboys for the final time trying to harness the spectacular talent that is Des Bryant. But unless the spectacular talent that is Des Bryant has had a significant change in character, and I don't think he has as a result of these restrictions, then I just don't see this arrangement working, working for the term. Now, the Patriots signed uh, their tight end, Rob Gronkowski, to a six-year extension earlier this offseason. They followed that up this week with signing their other tight end, Aaron Hernandez, to a five-year, $40 million deal, which will begin after his rookie contract runs out in two more years. Interesting to note that Aaron Hernandez actually received more guaranteed money than his tight end counterpart, Rob Gronkowski, did which leads one to believe the Patriots paid Hernandez more like a wide receiver than a tight end. Big up or slow down? Well, first, let's preface that by saying the Patriots signed Rob Gronkowski. Well, he's in the midst of his rookie contract. Signed Aaron Hernandez. Well, he's in the midst of his rookie contract. So, big up or slow down? The Patriots are negotiating differently now than they once did. That's an obvious big up. The days of contentious negotiations with the Patriots and a lot of their key players appear to be over. Over the past couple of years, they extended, they've extended Gerard Mayo before they had to, Rob Gronkowski before they had to, and now Aaron Hernandez before they've had to. And it's a great thing for the Patriots. You know, the Logan Mankin situation a couple of years ago, I think left a sour taste in everybody's mouth. And I think Robert Kraft had an epiphany after that, and he said, wait a minute, we don't have to operate this way because taking these guys to the end of their rookie contract, then franchising them, and essentially taking them for all they're worth is not paying off for us. It's resulting in contentious negotiations and in some cases contentious relationships with some of our star players, and we're not saving any money on it. In fact, we're getting burned at the negotiation table because we have to play now for we have to pay now for peak performance. We are not being proactive. We're being we're being reactive, 
And since we haven't given the player a break, he and his agent aren't giving us a break at the negotiation table either. So it's smart to lock up these players long-term in the midst of their rookie contracts. There was no doubt last year that Gerard Mayo was going to continue to be a consistent contributor at linebacker, if not a uh, very solid contributor at linebacker for the Patriots over the foreseeable future. So what happens? The Patriots sign Mayo to a deserving long-term deal. Rob Gronkowski just had arguably the best season a tight end has ever had. I know it's only two years, but he's on a Hall of Fame track. There's no doubt that over the next handful of years, Rob Gronkowski is going to still be an elite tight end in the league. So why not lock him up before he gets even more expensive? Aaron Hernandez, I personally think, has a chance to be a real factor in the Patriot offense this season. They've signed more tight ends, which would lead one to believe maybe Hernandez is going to be more of a wide receiver. Wes Welker has been franchised. The Patriots have not signed Welker to a long-term deal. So her, could Hernandez be used more in the slot this year? They used him as a running back at times late last season and into the playoffs last season too. For years, Wes Welker has been where this offense has run off of. I think that may be shifting this year to Aaron Hernandez. And the Patriots, knowing that, have, been, have gotten themselves ahead of the curve and signed Hernandez to a five-year, $40 million contract. It's big guaranteed money. It's a big contract overall, like the Mayo deal was, like the Gronkowski deal was. But ultimately, the Patriots are saving money here if Aaron Hernandez performs the way they expect him to perform. So big up. The Patriots have changed here with the way they negotiate players. Uh, they should have done this years ago, as far as I'm concerned. But they finally did it. And kudos to them. It's a much better way to run their negotiations. And Aaron Hernandez is the later Patriot who, deservingly so, has gotten locked up to a contract extension years before his rookie contract runs out. Now it's time to tackle the preseason football question. This is the final week of preseason football. Then we get on to games that actually matter. Thank the Lord. Um, the question here is preseason football, though unfair, has to stay. The current system has to stay because it's the only way teams can generate consistent revenue out of the preseason. And I frame the question in that way and not the obligatory, is the way preseason football is handled unfair? Well, because of course it's unfair, the season ticket holders. Nobody will deny that. And the owners always come back and say, well, we understand it's not ideal, but it's the only way we can generate real revenue out of the preseason. So big up or slow down. It's the only way teams can generate consistent revenue out of the preseason, ripping season ticket holders off, ripping fans off, charging regular season prices for these preseason games, glorified practices. Um, I say slow down. It's not the only way NFL owners can generate revenue out of preseason. Mike Tirico on Monday Night Football last week when the Patriots sat 27 players against Philadelphia went on a terrific rant. And kudos to Mike Tirico. I never thought anybody at ESPN had it in them to take on the NFL owners, the NFL, their biggest television partner. I didn't think Mike Tirico was that kind of guy. Kudos to him. And John Gruden was stunned to silence. First time in his life he's ever been speechless. After Mike Tirico went on a rant saying how it's ridiculous and if owners charge these regular season prices for preseason games, these glorified practices, and Mike Tirico came up with an idea last Monday night, and it's a terrific idea. 
what NFL owners should do. And in this scenario, they would still generate their revenue out of the preseason is they should cut the preseason schedule down to two games instead of four. Make it make it dress rehearsals because game three, I don't think anyone complains about game three. That's a dress rehearsal. The starters play the full first half into the second half in a lot of cases, too, if not into the fourth quarter. So I don't think anybody complains about preseason game number three. It's the other games people complain about. Especially Game 4 coming up. This is going to be a joke. So, keep two preseason games. Charge your regular season prices for those. And then what you do, instead of the other two games, is you charge fans to come in and watch the controlled scrimmages you have with other teams. Charge 10 bucks. You'll attract thousands of fans to watch these controlled scrimmages, and it would be a more... It would frankly be a more useful experience for the fan anyway. They'd learn more about their favorite team. Because in these preseason games, you know, the starters don't play for long if they play at all. So you're just seeing backups. Whereas in these controlled scrimmages, you know, a Patriots fan, for example, could walk into one of these controlled scrimmages and see Tom Brady throw to his number one ride receiver, Brandon Lloyd, 50, 60 times. You know, instead of saying Brady in there for a couple of series and then getting yanked, you know? You know, a, a fan goes to New Orleans, the fan can see Drew Brees throw to Marquise Colston 40 times, throw to Darren Sproles 20 times out of the backfield, really see the Saints offense in action, see the frontline defense go up against a frontline offense of the other team, see the ones versus the ones for 50, 60, 70 plays from scrimmage, multiple series. It would be a far more useful way for the fans to garner interest about their teams. $10 a pop, thousands would come in. Fans would actually see the number ones, the people who they want to see. And the NFL owners would still get their precious revenue. So to me, that's a solution. And we'll have to wait until the next CBA to see if that's tackled at all. My bet is it won't be, but my goodness, it should. What a joke. Closing out the show, it's the Reamer rant. It's the fourth down segment. A couple weeks ago, if you remember, Chad Johnson was released by the Miami Dolphins following his incident off the field with his girlfriend, his, his assault, right? Well, Terrell Owens last week was cut by the Seattle Seahawks not for an off-field incident, but for poor performance on the field. Though Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll says that Terrell Owens can still play and still help an NFL team. But I guess just not his team. Whatever. So, FootballNation.com, of course, has terrific columns published each and every day. Countless terrific columns published each and every day. And I was perusing the site the other day, and I noticed that there was an article about Terrell Owens fixing the Jets' offense. Now, the Jets should sign Owens to fix their offensive woes in the red zone, or at least help them get to the red zone. Or another one about how Jeremy Shockey, actually. That's, the other, that's another new prima donna over-the-hill player to add to this list. You know, Jeremy Shockey is the guy who the Jets need to sign to fix their offense. You know, there was another retrospective on what has gone wrong with T.O. since he left Philadelphia. And I'm not, you know, I'm not ranting against the folks who have written these articles. They get hundreds of views, a lot of comments. People are interested. 
and you write what people want to read. But I just don't understand the obsession with these over-the-hill prima donna wide receivers. Uh, why has Terrell Owens failed since leaving Philadelphia? I'll tell you why. He's in his mid-30s now. And if not his late 30s. That's why he's failed. You want to know why Terrell Owens? You want to know why Terrell Owens' career has declined since he left Philadelphia? I'll tell you why. He's 38. It's as simple as that. T.O. is 38. That's why his career has declined since he left the Eagles in the mid-portion of the millennium. He's 38. That's why. Not so hard to figure out. Save you some time. He's 38. That's why Terrell Owens was cut by Seattle. That's why Terrell Owens didn't have a job last year. He can't play anymore. And a guy like T.O., a guy like Chad Johnson, Jeremy Shockey, all these guys, Plaxico Burris, all these guys, yeah, maybe, in the right circumstance, could contribute to an NFL team as a mentor-type guy. You know, like Deion Branch, to bring it to the Patriots. Jabbar Gaffney, Dante Stallworth were both cut this week. Deion Branch, in the twilight of his career, maybe in the final year of his career, was retained by the Patriots. To be a fourth, fifth wide receiver, a mentoring guy who can go out, still run the slant pattern with the best of them. He's won Super Bowls with New England. Really beyond in a veteran leadership type role. Here's the problem. Guys like Terrell Owens and Chad Johnson and Jeremy Shockey cannot be on teams and a veteran leadership role. Because they're not leaders. So as soon as their talent dissipates to the level where they're not number one, number two wide receivers, or in Shockey's case, a number one receiving tight end, teams have no use for them. Because they're bad influences. They're clowns. You're not going to bring T.O. on to be a fourth, fifth wide receiver. To be a mentor type. Yeah, if Terrell Owens was not a distraction, he could probably find a job because he's still probably talented enough to hang on an NFL roster. But he's not talented enough to be a number one wide receiver, which is what his ego still tells him he is. So it's as simple as this. These players' personalities, uh, their talents, excuse me, or lack thereof, no longer warrant putting up with their obnoxious personalities. And that's what their personalities are. Obnoxious. There's nothing endearing about Terrell Owens at 38 screaming for the football. It's obnoxious. And teams used to put up with it because the guys produced at elite levels. But now they don't. So their talents don't warrant putting up with the personalities. It's really as simple as that. And also as simple as the fact that T.O. is 38. That's what happens. When you get older, your playing skills diminish. All right. Maybe we're done ranting about that. But I promise come midseason when a wide receiver goes down by injury, oh, T.O., will T.O. make sense? No. He doesn't make sense for anybody. Didn't make sense for Seattle. Didn't make sense for any team last year. He wasn't signed. He doesn't make sense for anybody. I know Pete Carroll says he can still play, but I guess just not in Seattle. Because, you know, they got they got all the wide receivers out there. They don't need anyone else, right? Yeah, look at that roster. They could use some wide receivers. But they didn't choose T.O. 
There's a reason for that. Football Nation Today podcast episode number 14 in the books. Thank you for listening. Again, I apologize for calling an audible, but next week is the start of the NFL regular season, so I figured next week would be the appropriate time to go on with the 2012 NFL season overview. And then after that, I'm very excited for the regular season to start and for this show to start talking about real football games. So really looking forward to that. Before I leave you, I also want to plug something else on the footballnation.com website. Um, the Sportscasters, another podcasting group here, uh, have a terrific show each week, some really great interviews. Their latest interview is with Michael Holly, a sports radio personality here in the Boston area on Sports Radio WEEI. He's a former Boston Globe columnist. He's uh, published many books on the Patriots and Bill Belichick. He has a lot of great insight into the Patriot organization, and if you have not checked out the Sportscasters interviews with Michael Hawley. I highly encourage you do so. Uh, so long, everybody. Thank you for listening. As always, if you want to email me, feel free to shoot me a message, areamer at bu.edu. Also, feel free to follow me on Twitter, at AlexReamer1 is my Twitter handle. And also, feel free to leave a comment in the show page. So long, everyone. Thanks for listening. Final week of preseason football. Mercifully, it's ending. Regular season football just around the corner. And we'll be back to preview week one and the 2012 NFL season as a whole next Wednesday. So long. Talk then.